Um, uh, let's open our Bibles. We're going to actually turn now to the book of Numbers, chapter 19. We finished with Leviticus last week. And we are in the book of Numbers, and we're in Numbers chapter 19. We're going to read a story or a law in the Old Testament that uh, it's really not a lot of Christians are familiar with, but it's definitely a type of Christ. It's the law of the red heifer. Uh, we read that in Numbers chapter 19, and we're going to continue today our study on shadows of Golgotha in the Old Testament pictures of the cross of Christ. Numbers 19. And um, today we're going to discuss the law of the red heifer, and we're going to talk about three points. Uh, we're going to read the chapter. Uh, I tried to cut and see if we don't have to, but we have to. It's uh, each part. We're going to read from verse 1, the whole chapter. It's in the notes, but you can also look it up in your phones or, um, uh, or your Bibles. And that, by the way, all the notes now, I try to put it online. So if you don't want to look in these papers, you go to our website, click on the title of the sermon. You should find the notes there as well. Anyways, um, so three points we're going to talk about today. The first thing is um, we're going to talk about the law of the red heifer. We're going to go through the rituals to explain it and understand it. It's pretty easy, mostly going to be just reading. We're going to highlight a couple of quick notes about the law. And then we're going to talk about the type in that law. How is that a picture of uh, the crucifixion of Christ, his death, his atoning death for us on the cross? So Numbers 19 um, the main points here in that chapter is, the first major point is the slaughter of the red heifer, how, how that works. Number 19, Numbers 19.1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring a red heifer with that blemish, without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer. Now, Eliezer is the son of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest, um, uh, Moses' brother. Eliezer was his firstborn who became, I'm not sure if he's the firstborn, but he became the high priest right after his father died. So in Numbers 19, Aaron already died at that point. Um, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his fingers and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. So he slaughtered the, the, the heifer outside the camp, take some of the blood, go back inside the camp. Remember the tabernacle is inside the camp. And he sprinkled in front of the door of the tabernacle seven times. Uh, verse 5, then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its, head, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. So the whole thing shall be burned pretty much. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. Now there's some cool points here to whoever of you guys remember that the, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the cedar wood, we talked about these before, one time before. Does anybody remember where? Some cool points here. All right, we talked about it when we talked about the cleansing of the leper. 
I think it was uh, Leviticus 13 and 14. And these three items were also used in the cleansing of the leper when we talked about that. So you see how these items are more associated with cleansing, okay? And that's pretty much the purpose of the law here. There is uh, some uncleanness because of sin that need to be cleansed. So these items are mentioned and are used They're pretty much to be thrown in the midst of the fire where the heifer is being burned. Verse 7, then the priest shall wash his clothes and shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening, and the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. It's pretty simple, we're not gonna, it's pretty much very easy to understand. And they shall, um, <coughs> and they shall be kept, these ashes, for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. So they use these ashes to make something called the water of purification. It is for what? Purifying from sin. So that's the purpose of the ashes, the heifer to make this water that is used to cleanse, to purify from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. It shall be a statue forever. When, whenever God says a statue forever, that's like, this is a big deal for him. Amen. This shall be a statue forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. So that's pretty much how they kill it and what they do with it. Now, why? Why did they do that? Why did they kill that red heifer? Verse 11. Uh, he who touches a dead body, the dead body of anyone, shall be unclean seven days. So remember, they live in the desert. There's about three million people, and people die, right? You have a family member who die, you need to wash them, or accidentally die, and they just, you know, you touch them by an accident. So if you touch a dead body, you are ceremonially unclean before God for seven days. Verse 12, he shall purify himself, the one who touched the dead body. With the water of the third, what water? With the water, what water? The water of purification that used the ashes of the red heifer to make, right? With the water on the third day and on the seventh day. So the person is unclean for seven days. They clean themselves, wash themselves with this water or cleanse themselves, purify themselves with this water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he shall be clean. And if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he shall not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself, look at this, defiles what? The tabernacle of the Lord, the presence of God. That person shall be cut off from Israel. So this is like serious, amen? If you don't do that, if you touch a dead body, and given the fact that people die naturally or an accident, pretty much every single one in the children of Israel I'm guessing at some point has touched a dead body. Amen. You're one of your relatives died. You need to, to wash them and everything. So this is pretty much applicable to the whole nation. And he said, if, if you don't cleanse yourself, purify yourself on the third and the seventh days with this water from the red heifer, then you shall be cut off from the people of Israel. Um, verse um, because he defies the tabernacle of the Lord, shall person that he shall be cut off from Israel, he shall be unclean. Because of the water, purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. So he's unclean because the water did not cleanse him. He remains unclean, therefore he must be cut off. You guys see that? Okay. Uh, there is a special case that God talked about if somebody dies in the house, like a family member. Verse 14. 
This is the law when a man dies in a tent. Um, all, all who come into the tent and all who um, are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Everybody who touched a dead body shall be unclean for seven days. And, um, and every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Verse 16, whoever is in open field touches the one who is slain by the sword who has died, or the bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Whether that happened naturally or unnaturally, like death or natural death, whoever, death in a war or a natural death, this person who touches a dead body or a bone shall be unclean. How now they can be cleansed? The rituals of cleaning. Verse 17, and uh, for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes from the heifer burned for purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. We talked about running water again before when we talked about the leper, if you remember how they can be cleansed. So you see that this is common elements that used mainly for cleansing, right? Whether with the leper or here, it's mainly for cleansing. Running water means a water that is not still, like in a, in, a, in a bond or anything like in a pond or anything like that. This is just like tap water or fresh water, river water that is always running. So this is uh, living water. Um, in verse 18, look at this. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent and all the vessels, on the person who uh, on the persons who were there, and on the one who touched a bone the slain, the dead, or a grave. Verse 19, the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean. Isn't that wonderful? Look at this. Let's read this phrase together. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean. I, I, this is the gospel in six words. Amen? The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean. On the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself. That's the clean person shall... Um, I'm sorry, on the seventh day, that's the unclean person, shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and in the evening he shall be clean, almost done. This is important, but still. Now, what if you don't get cleansed with this water on the third and the seventh day after you touch a dead body? God tells us that there's consequences for that. Verse 20, but the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among that assembly. So this is a serious matter. Amen? If you don't get cleansed, you're going to be cut off from the assembly. Because he has defiled, again, the same idea that we talked about earlier. Because he has defiled what? The sanctuary, the presence of the Lord. The water of purification has not sprinkled on him. He is unclean. He shall be, uh, this, it shall be a perpetual statue for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash this cloth, and, they, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean till the evening. Last verse 22. Whoever the unclean person, whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until the evening. Amen? Amen. Pretty simple. Any questions so far? I think the law is pretty easy to understand. Amen. So we're going to move forward to a little bit of notes and how is that a type of Christ. A couple of quick notes here. Um, heifer, this is the female cow, right? And somehow in the scripture, we see that heifer is more than any other animal, like the bull or anything like that, is more likely associated with the purification, the cleansing. For example, in Deuteronomy 21, 1 to 9, we see a law that God commanded. He said, if, if, there, if you guys find a slain body somewhere in the middle of the highways and you don't know who, the, who, got, who killed that person, 
then the, the, the heads of the city that is closest, physically closest to the dead body shall offer a heifer as a reason for atoning and purification for that dead body. So we see the heifer here again in, in, in Deuteronomy 21 in a different law, but it is used again for the purpose of um, cleansing, for the purpose of atoning. So there is a higher ratio of association in the Bible between heifers and cleansing than any other animal. Amen? In Numbers 19, that chapter that we, we just read, um, we read that phrase, the water of um, uh, purification that we just read. This is from uh, King James. But actually, this water can be translated multiple ways. It can be translated as the water of impurity, and that's pretty much the most accurate uh, translation of that word, I believe. Um, this is the correct translation as in the American Standard Version. They say the water of sin or the water of impurity. That's the most accurate one. It was translated water of separation in King James Version. Not very accurate. It was translated water of sprinkling in the, in the Septuagint and the Vulgate. We talked about this before. The LXX, that's the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament before Christ. You guys should know that by now. I mention it all the time. And the Vulgate is the Latin, uh, I think it's paraphrasing just uh, the meaning of the Old Testament uh, uh, as well. So the Vulgate is Latin, the, the, the Septuagint is Greek. Uh, but they both use the word water of sprinkling, and that's still not very accurate like the water of impurity or the water of sin. Why? Because actually that word water of impurity or sin, that word in, in the Hebrew language is the exact same word that used to describe the sin offering in the book of Leviticus. So it literally means the water of that sin offering. Because that heifer, yes, it's mainly for cleansing, but you cannot separate cleansing um, of sin to be ceremonially clean before God. You cannot separate that from that the death that sin brings upon us. So there's so much overlap, you know, that how we need to be forgiven before a holy and a righteous God and how we need to be cleansed before a holy and a righteous God. They overlap so much, you cannot just absolutely distinct between both benefits. Amen? So that's why it's called the water of that sin offering. And that red heifer is actually called the sin, sin offering a couple of times in, in verse 9 and in verse 17 when it talks about that water. Just a couple of uh, nerdy notes here just uh, to give you an idea about what's going on. But let me just elaborate more on how is that red heifer a type of Christ. We're talking about shadows of Golgotha, shadows of the cross. So let's talk about that. How is that red heifer is a picture of Jesus coming to die for us and redeem us and cleanse us before a holy and a righteous God. I want to highlight three points uh, that explain that type. Number one is uncleanness is the root of separation. Number two, the heifer provides for purification. And number three, rejections. rejection leads to condemnation. Amen? So let's say it together. I want to know that you guys follow me. And if you're asleep, it's a good time for you to wake up. All right. So number one, uncleanness is the root of separation. Number two, the heifer provides for purification. And number three, rejection lead to condemnation. Let's start with number one. Uncleanness is a, the root of separation. It's kind of implied in that chapter. It's not very explicit. But God said if somebody touches in that chapter, if somebody touches a dead body, then they are unclean for seven days, right? 
But actually, if we roll back to number chapter 5, we see a little, bit, a little bit more elaboration of that. So in Numbers 5, 1 to 4, we see this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel um, that they put out of the camp. Look at this. Put out of the camp. Who? Every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse so yes they are un in, in numbers 19 we see that they are unclean for a week but before that in numbers 5 we see that it is not that they're just defiled they actually need to be outside the camp throughout that whole week till they are cleansed and then they can come inside the camp amen why do they need to be outside the camp Yes, but what's inside the camp that makes them have to go out? The tabernacle is inside the camp. And because the presence of God is inside the camp, and God is holy, and they are unclean and defiled, now it's impossible that this defiled person should stay in the presence of God, and that's why they need to be kicked out forever, out of that camp, actually for seven days, till they're cleansed. And if they're not cleansed, then they're really cut off from the presence of God altogether. Do you guys see that? Yes. See, the problem with sin is this. It is not that we just broke the law of God and it actually brought upon us the penalty of breaking the law of God. Sin is also a defilement. Because we sin, we have a sinful, wicked nature. That's why it's impossible for a holy and a righteous God to have any sort of communication or any sort of a relationship with any one of us. Yes, he is just. Listen, God is just. That's why he must punish our sins. But God is also holy. And because we are defiled because of our sins, we cannot come close to him. And he cannot, listen, cannot come close to us. Because he is holy and pure. Amen? Have you ever tried to mix? This is how I picture it. Have you ever tried to, when I was in, in, in pharmacy school, they, we have test tubes and you have water and some other liquids like oil and if you put water and oil in, in a jar or, or something like that you can shake them as hard as you want guess what they will never mix up why because they are of a different nature and because the nature of oil is different than the nature of water you can put them in the same jar keep mixing them up and they're still gonna separate the oil gonna go on top i guess and the water on bottom or the other way but anyways they will never mix up because they're of a different nature and friends that's precisely the problem that we have with god we are separated from God because our nature is a filthy, defiled nature because of sin. And on the other hand, God is a holy and a righteous God. And it's impossible that we and him can have any sort of relationship. Amen? Yeah. Do you know why people end up going to hell? It is not because God is an angry God who just want to punish people because they, they did not obey him. It's because God is holy and we are sinful and we cannot be in his presence for all eternity. And he sure can't handle us for all eternity if we are defiled before him. Amen? Yeah. That's why we have to be separated from him. That's why we need to end up in that place called hell because God is not physically like manifesting himself there he's in heaven so he's in heaven we have to be separated from him and that's precisely how the bible defines death is to be separated from god who is the sort of life amen yes. 
So uncleanness is the root of separation. We are separated from God. Yes, we sinned. Yes, we broke his law. Yes, we provoked a holy and a, righteous, a, right, a just and a righteous God. But we are also of a sinful nature. And he is of a holy nature. Amen? Amen. Now, do you see the futility and the purposelessness and the waste of time when you try to do good work to, to offset your sins so you can please God? Even if that, assume it's true, which is not. It's not, because when you break the law, you break the law. There's no good works that you can stand before the judge and say, yeah, I know I robbed the bank, but I have been good since then. He, guess what? He's going to say, I don't care. You're going to jail anyway, right? The judge doesn't care how good have you been since then or what you do for a living. He cares about one small thing. Did you break the law or no, right? If you broke the law, you're guilty. If you didn't, you're innocent, right? This is yes. God precisely. If you broke one of his commandments, you're guilty, regardless of how good have you been trying not to do that. Amen? So... The fact that sin can offset, our good works can offset our sins before a holy and a righteous God and we can escape his judgment because we've been trying to do good is absolutely nonsense. It's, it will never work. But even if it works, let's assume that it works and God will say, okay, you've been trying to do good since then. I'm going to let this one slide, which will never happen. But let's assume that happened. You know what is the problem that we still have? Even if God forgive us from the, and excuse us from the consequences of our sins the problem is our nature we are filthy before him we are defiled before him and he said okay I might let your sense light it's not gonna happen promise me trust me but even if he does let the consequences of your sins light you still cannot be in the presence of God because you are defiled because of sin and he is holy and he cannot mix with you for all eternity amen Uncleanness is the root of separation here on earth and for all eternity. We're defiled. God is holy. We can never be with him in the same place. That's why in Proverbs 15, 29, listen what the scripture says. The Lord is nearby to the wicked. Far. Far, far or nearby? Far. The Lord is far from the wicked. Why is he far from the wicked? Because the wicked is defiled and God is holy. He cannot come close to the wicked. Amen? Ephesians 2.12. This is what Paul was telling the Gentiles. But the idea is still valid. Remember that you were self at that time. Look at the terms he's using. You were what? Separated from Christ. Alienated. That doesn't sound like somebody who's close to somebody. Amen? Separated and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And what? Stranger from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. You were alienated, you were strangers, and you were what? What did he say? Um, separated, alienated, and strangers. That's what the terminology Paul is using. You were are far away from God because you were Gentile, sinful, wicked people. And because of the sin nature that you have, because you're defiled before a holy and righteous God, you are separated from God in your lifetime and for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Uncleanness is the root of separation. If you're here today... Do yourself a favor. Quit trying to do good works. It's not going to cleanse your nature. Amen? 
It's not going to cleanse your nature. But as and as much as God in the Old Testament provided the way for the unclean to be cleansed through that red heifer, so God also in the New Testament provided for the whole fallen human race a way for you and me to be cleansed and our defiled nature will be changed so we can actually have a relation with the holy and righteous God. Amen? You know what was that that God has provided? It was the cross of Christ and the blood that he shed on that cross. That's what's going to cleanse our defiled nature before the holy and the righteous God and bring us back to him. Amen? As a matter of fact, point blank, the author of Hebrews tells us that that red heifer is an absolute picture of Christ. Where we get that from? Hebrews 9, 13 to 14. Look what the author of Hebrews says. For if the blood of bulls and goats and what? The ashes of a heifer. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? He's talking about number 19, right? That red heifer that need to be burned so they can take their ashes to provide purification. Hebrews 9, 13 to 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean. Ring a bell? Numbers 19, amen. Um, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify for the purification, for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, shall cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. So the author of Hebrews is telling us point blank, as, as, as clear as it can be, that red heifer, that ashes of the red heifer that used to cleanse the unclean before God is a picture of Christ. Amen. It's, it was limited, which is different than the blood of Jesus, which is absolutely unlimited in its effect. Amen? So how is that red heifer a picture of Christ? Small things here and there. Number one, that red heifer need to be without blemish, right? That's what God said. Yeah. And in verse 2, but we read about Jesus in 1 Peter 1.19, but with that we have been redeemed with the blood, precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. How does he look like? Without a blemish and without spot the red heifer was burned outside the camp right Jesus also died outside of Jerusalem outside the camp Hebrews 13 12 for therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood he suffered where outside the gate the red heifer is to be slaughtered was Jesus slaughtered on the cross you bet he did Jesus also was slaughtered on the cross. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he did not open his mouth. He, he was led like a lamb to what? To the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearer. He did not open his mouth. The red heifer was burned and was burned to ashes. It came to absolute dust. This is how bad it was burned. And that's precisely what happened to Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22, 7, 14. Jesus, this is a prophecy and Jesus is saying, I am poured like water and all my bones are, uh, are out of my joy and my heart is like wax. It has what? Melted. We talked about this before. What melted the wax? Fire. And that's literally what happened to Jesus on the cross. The fire of the wrath of God for your uncleanness and my uncleanness has fell on him on the cross. And his heart was like wax because of the judgment and the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ on our behalf on the cross. Amen. Amen. And remember that the red heifer was burned to ashes. 
And that's precisely what happened to Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53.10. Yet, uh, yet it was the will of the Lord to do what? To crush him. He became just like that red heifer that was reduced to ashes. So, so was Jesus on the cross when the wrath of God fell on him. He was crushed into fine ashes because of your sin and my sin. Amen? Amen. You guys see that we are helpless apart from Christ. It doesn't matter if you're sincere, it doesn't matter if you're trying, it doesn't matter if you're giving your very best shot, it doesn't even matter if you didn't mean to sin. The fact of the matter is, sin and defiles you before a holy and a righteous God, and there's absolutely, absolutely no way that a holy and a righteous God can ever have any sort of relationship with you, whether here on earth or for all eternity. Amen? But hallelujah to the name of Jesus. Amen. Just like in the Old Testament when God has provided that red heifer to provide purification for those who are unclean. So did Jesus. He came down from heaven. He went to the cross. He endured the wrath of God. And because of his blood, you and me can be cleansed before a holy and a righteous God. Amen. And when our filth and uncleanness can be taken away because of the blood of Jesus, now a holy and a righteous God can even bring us to his family and call us his own children. Yeah. It's not that God want to have a relationship with us now. The blood of Jesus is so powerful that unclean, filthy people like you and me now dare to call the most holy of all people, God himself, we dare to call him Father. Amen? Because when the blood of Jesus cleanses you, he gives you the very nature of God. Now God is not just in a relationship with you. He cares about you. He loves you. He is with you. And for all eternity, you're going to be in his presence because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yes. So quit trying to fix it with God because you can't. Your, your good works is not going to get you nowhere. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? But number three, let's close with this. Rejection lead to condemnation. We see that in a couple of times in verse 13 and verse 20. I'm going to read verse 13 here. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles what? The tabernacle, the presence of God. That person shall be cut from the children of Israel. He shall be unclean because the water. Now listen. Why is he unclean? Why is he unclean? God tells us right here why he's unclean. Well, he's unclean because he touched that dead body, right? Yeah. Right. He's unclean. Listen, he's unclean because he touched that dead body. That's absolutely true. But God doesn't say here he's unclean because he touched the dead body, right? Says here what? He is unclean because why? Why he is unclean? Because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His cleanness shall still on him. Listen, this is very important. This guy who touches a dead body is definitely unclean because, because, because he touched a dead body. Amen? But in the eyes of God, he is still unclean because the water of purification was not, has not sprinkled him. Amen? What does that tell you and me? This person, God said, need to be cut off from the nation of Israel and die once and for all. And even be judged because he refused the water of the sprinkling or that water of purification. Amen? Why did that person die? 
if he refuses, why would he die? He died because obviously he touched a clean, unclean body, right? But really the main problem that caused him to die is he rejected to be cleansed before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? It's like this, how I look at it. It's like, let's say that the magically discovered cure for cancer, one pill, you take it and you're cured from whatever source of cancer you ever have, and you're really cured 100% and cancer will never come back to you. Amen? And then you have somebody who's, who, who is, who's smitten with cancer, and they refuse to take that proven bell, pill that has healed and cured so many people, thousands and thousands of people before them. Why are they going to die? Yes, they're going to die because they have cancer. But the problem is, the reason they're going to die is that they refused the cure that could have healed yeah. them. Amen? And friends, here is the thing. It's the same exact situation between us and God. God is not angry sitting down in heaven waiting for you to commit a sin so he can punish you for it. This is what the world thinks that God is. But this is a lie from the enemy who's trying to deceive people about who God is. Amen? It's the total opposite way. We're the one who choose to sin against God. We're the one who defiled ourselves before a holy and a righteous God. And because of our own choices and our own free will, we have brought the wrath of a holy and a righteous God upon us. Amen? But God so loved the world that he has given his one and only son. God has provided the way for you and me when he didn't even have to. Remember? Remember, we're the one who commits sin, not God. God doesn't make us sin. We choose to sin. Amen? Yeah. But God, in his love and his grace, he has provided the way for people like you and me who don't even deserve a chance to live. Amen? He has provided the way for us to be cleansed and to be restored back to our relationship with God through the cross, the blood, and the resurrection of Christ. That is your cure. Now it's up to you. You can keep on saying, oh, well, I'll figure it out by myself. I'll try to reach out to God on my own. Then guess what? Just like in the day, in the Old Testament days, the one who refused the water of purifications will be cut off. So will you. If you say no to the blood of Jesus, the only thing that can cleanse you before a holy and a righteous God, there is nothing left for you except a fearful expectation of judgment because you have sinned and you are already undefiled before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Amen. It's up to you. I don't know about you. This is how I got saved. The guy who led me to the Lord literally scared the hell out of me. And I'm trying to do the exact same thing today. Are you saying, Pastor, are you trying to scare us? Trying to play with our emotions? You bet I am. Mm -hmm. Because it's a fearful thing to fall into yes. the hands of a, of a living God. Amen? Amen? It's better for you to be scared right now and run and take refuge in the blood of Jesus than to be scared when you stand before a holy and a righteous God. And it is too late because you already have said no to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why won't you come to Jesus today? Let's close our eyes and pray.